the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, welcome to the Tenuous Links Golf Podcast, home of the Golf Barons, now playing on KO and Foxtel On Demand. We're here fresh off the Solheim Cup and Europe's impressive win, as well as the conclusion to the FedEx Cup at the Tour Championship, and here to mull over all the takeaways from a very big week in golf, as per usual, is Philbert. What was the second thing you mentioned? You mentioned the Solheim Cup and there was something else, a Tour Championship. (laughs) A tour championship, Phil, the end of the FedEx Cup. That sounds awesome. When's that on? You might have missed it. Um, we will get into that at some point today. But before we do, let's let's just start with the Solheim Cup. Um, congratulations to the European team, obviously. There is a, there's a lot to discuss about it. But first, Philby, what was your biggest takeaway uh, from the event? That I need to play there. That uh, Inverness is on my must-play list. I've got so many takeaways that that it's probably safer to go with yours or for you to interject because I have a lot of them. I too was going to kick off with Inverness, believe it or not. that I'm a little annoyed I didn't know more about it. I'm a little bit annoyed at myself. It's incredible. Seriously, it's it's bloody heavenly. You look at the dramatic elevation changes. Um, you've got the swales around the greens, the the awesome-looking undulations, even even the framing from, you know, the tree framing from hole to hole on the tee boxes. And that bunkering is about as stunning, stunningly architectural a bunker system I've ever seen anywhere. It's absolutely magic. Stunningly architectural design. bunker system. That's 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 me. The I'm, Sabs. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> it's um and it, one thing that it highlighted for me was that it was actually something I didn't realise that I love this Phil, but I, I found a love. I Good. found a love this way. Excellent. I I love no water on the course. It requires um. It requires kind of a, I don't know, design genius, I suppose, to pull it off having no water features on a course and still be a, a breathtaking or, or a must-play bucket list course. Some, sometimes, I mean, if you think about it, sometimes it, it can be the easiest thing to do as a designer, or at least that's what I think, of j- just throwing a pond over there or, or over here and it will just pretty up a hole or pretty up the course. And it doesn't take a whole lot of creativity to do that, like the nuance of those subtle mounds, or or a swale, or a slope uh, in these areas that you know take the ball to, to a spot that might now make it challenging to attack the green. It's it takes a lot more now to design something like that, I, I, from my perspective anyway. And I'd I'd love to hear Mike Cocking. I know you, you and Mike are, are pretty tight these days. I'd love to get Mike Cocking's take on on all of that. I think he's. Take and I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but a Donald Ross, as you when I interrupted you, you're about to describe the fact that it was a Donald Ross design. And and Donald Ross, funnily enough, his two courses went head to head this week with the Solheim Cup and the other event that apparently was on at the same time. But Donald Ross um, has a gift, as a lot of the the architects back then did have a gift of flow. And there's a great quote from Lee Trevino that that I picked up only this week, specifically around Inverness, and it's. Before you build a course with deep bunkers, railroad tyres, forced carries and water everywhere, just remember that no Donald Ross course has ever gone Chapter 11. And they just stand the test of time. There's, yeah. there's a, a, a – not, not, purity is not the right word, but you just look at it um, and the flow and the connection with all the holes and the fact that there is variety and everything challenges you is fantastic. And what impressed me even more about that 
is the fact that a young guy, same age as you, significantly younger than me, undertook the restoration um, a few mm. years ago of uh, Inverness, a guy called Andrew Green. And, and to be able to deliver on what he has to remove a number of trees, and, and anyone, and Australians particularly watching, will remember that there were a few more trees around in um, <clears throat> both <clears throat> 86 <clears throat> and um, 93 when... Australian golf could have had a moment in the sun, but for some unfortunate circumstances, it, it was absolutely outstanding. It, it is absolutely on my must-play list. It, 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 yeah, it, it delivers on every front that I'd love for a golf course to deliver on. Prior to seeing the course play this week, did you have any desire, now this is not to be cruel to Ohioans, but did you have any uh, desire to go to Ohio in any yeah. Way, shape, or form. Of course, of course yeah, I cool. did. Oh, yeah, and no, I did too. Yeah, I was all over it. What were you going to see? Um, I was going to see Muirfield in Ohio. I was going oh, to see Jack's. Of course. Jack's. Yeah, so there was there was a couple of reasons to, to go to Ohio. Not great on geography. <laughs> Nothing like a little bit of lack of research. Um, but I did I want to go and play, forget Ohio, what was Inverness even on my list, even on my radar. And, and ashamedly, no. And one thing that golf barons, and golf continues to give gifts along the way without getting deep and meaningful is that you can play it for performance you can then shift and play it to watch it to understand more about it to teach it and to learn about it and certainly in the last 18 months or probably two years i've got this real architectural thing so i'm now loving seeing mcdonald courses and rainer courses and and donald ross courses to see how they go about it not with any intention of ever wanting to do it but i'm fascinated by how magnificent they are does that draw you to courses more now than say 18 months ago what is your number one driver for playing a new course or if you can see at the moment it would just be to get out and play it i guess but what is it what is it that excites you now about um going out and seeing a new course like what's the number one draw i suppose for you and has that changed having been locked down um I want to pursue courses that can be described as classics for whatever reason, and not necessarily because of their age. But um, I've never played a course called Mubu North in Victoria mm-hmm. at at the foot of the Strathlecky Ranges that that was designed by um, Vern Walker. I've never played Mubu North, but you know you you follow this person or that person, um, and a guy called Toby Cumming on on Twitter, and you see what exists out there and I'm intrigued by that but more importantly from a US point of view it's because this is where these people all went and I don't know how I'm going to get on all these places but I have now got 25 courses there that I want to play because they are classics they are elite there's a similarity to it I still love the idea of corners on greens but everything about it is is attractive and now I want to go back to Inverness to exercise the demons of Norman so I can try and cleanse myself of Bob Twy holding bunker shots and Norman lipping out in playoffs so that a zinger, so that a zinger wins. Oh, no. And I think that might explain some of my angst about (laughs) Mr. Azinger in 1993. And another piece of the puzzle falls into place. (laughs) That's right. But but I think it's actually really not. And and one thing I'll just, as a recommendation, if you go to YouTube and look up uh, Inverness and the fried egg. There's just a beautiful five or six minute piece on the renovation or the restoration from Andrew Green, beautifully narrated, and it just it makes you just want to go there. So I just want to go there. But more importantly, I just want to go and play golf. Is there something, is there a nice bit of poetry to the fact that uh, Europe won at Inverness? Um, you know, there's a lot of things 
um, to take, there's a nice bit of poetry, the fact that the Europeans won uh, and that'll do me. Very good, but it wasn't all uh, it wasn't all beer and skittles, was it, Philly? There was there were a few takeaways that would have, would upset a lot of viewers or a lot of people watching it, and one of them was not to we don't love harping on it, but there was a genuine issue with slow play. Yeah, we do love harping on it because it's a significant it's a significant issue, and call me whatever you want, call me sexist or otherwise, it appears to be a greater issue, and not I won't say overarching on the whole uh, women's tour. When you saw what happened at the Olympics, you saw the fact that you've got players like Nelly Corder who overtly are saying, I like to play quick, I like a little bit of vibe. And then you've got, well, let's just say the other players who... Name names, Philly. Um, Salas is a repeat offender. It's disturbing how long she takes to play golf. It's excruciating, isn't it? And one, you, you could argue that, you know, it didn't really matter, it was a solo home cup. Well, they were still put on the clock. So... so you know, it must matter a little bit. Absolutely. It, well, if Rory's right about it uh, all being about entertainment, well, then I'd be interested to hear his criticism of Salas, you know, for his for being consistent. Because you know what Rory's like. He's very consistent. He's very consistent. Uh, but like, Salas is a serial offender in this space. And like, you know, a lot, lot of the men get, get labelled with a slow play tag and it's a hard one to shake. She's not helping herself at the moment. I mean, the same thing happened back in um, in the 2019 Solheim Cup in Glen Eagles. Glen Eagles, absolutely. She was given she was given a couple of bad time rulings back then. Uh, if she had one more, it would have been a DQ of the hole. Like one of them, she it was measured 72 seconds to make a putt, and 40 seconds is that is the rule. Plus, or you know, I think it's got a plus or minus 10 percent leeway. Is there a um, rule really? This this is where it gets to for me. It's the inconsistency, the inconsistent and incoherent application of that rule that remains the bigger problem because because and Stacey Lewis called this out not that long ago so good on her former world number one calling out the slow play issue is, is still a big issue on the LPGA tour but it just seems to have fallen on deaf ears do you think that might have been one of the reasons that a fine American gentleman screamed out get in the hole when Salas was putting to actually have the match uh, to have the match to, to take it to 18 all square and I reckon just prior to her putter head hitting the ball he chose to scream out, get in the hole, because that's not very annoying. Listening to three days of USA, USA and get in the hole um, is not very annoying at all. So I think he was trying to say to Sellers, I actually just wanted to get in the hole and I want you to get to 18 because I'd like to get home. Like I arrived here yesterday morning when you teed off. I'd like to get home for dinner if I could. Very good. And aim point showed its ugly head again, Phil. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right about it. It's a joke. You you were bombarded by some texts from me, words of which will not be repeated on this podcast, but it's an absolute joke. It's everywhere. It seems to be everywhere in the on the women's tour. It is so excruciatingly slow. I watched probably 12 or 15, let's call them aim point putts, where they go and do the little um, finger thingy. I don't know what it is. Darth Vader. Uh, not one of them dropped. And... Most of them, or many of them, didn't even get near the hole. Either it just completely doesn't work, or the the way it's being taught, or they just don't know how to execute it. What oh, makes no sense? I don't know why it's why they're continuing with it. Because it still requires, to, like you can be the best green reader in the world. It still requires a putt to hit the ball on the right angle at the right pace, and it requires the grassy bit, which believe it or not is not as smooth as a painted wall, to actually behave. As smoothly as that, 
to take that into account. But the reality is, is that I think you should have an aim point license. I think you should have to prove that you are a good enough putter to be able to use it in the first place to then potentially... A competency test. A competency, absolutely, because if we're going to wait for someone to hold four fingers up, and one of the players didn't even have her fingers together, if we're going to have a, if we're going to have a, someone be standing, uh, straddling a line, holding four fingers up, and then miss, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather you actually say, I'm going to invoke aim point here. If I miss the putt, I'm going to call it a three putt. That's how confident I am that I need aim point. But not only that, there's another thing which intrigues me is when they stand over a line as if they had a putter, and caddies do it a lot. Mm. They stand over a line as if they were about to putt it and look down the line. Well, we know that what they're seeing is not actually the line, what they're seeing because of the angles, if it's not exactly over the ball. They're seeing a distorted line. So that's an irrelevant thing as well. You, You choose a line from behind the ball. But standing over it, everything just has to go to the mark you've pointed because you can't get a sense of break by standing behind it as if you're going to putt it. And how much of it is just a pre-shot routine habit that they've gotten into? Taught by Kipper. Yeah, let's blame Kipper. That they just they do it all the time. They just want to keep it consistent, and that just becomes a part of the process. Dare I say the word? Um, you know, I think we could, and probably have laboured it, but it's just it, it it kills it. But Philly. This comes to my game changer. Oh, today. Yes, sorry. I've got a I've got a win here. <laughs> Go on. Bring back now. Stay with me. Mm. Now bring back the shot clock. But here's the here's the kicker. The players can't see it, Phil. They don't know what the number is. It's an on-screen shot clock that the viewers are counting down. And if there's a time penalty that gets issued because they've taken too long, well, they don't find out until the next hole on the tee. It's guaranteed to speed up play and ensure more decisive golf. Um, you'll get hey, you'll get some of the most outstanding dummy spits on the tee boxes, thus ticking Rory's entertainment prerequisite. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And earning you more prize money under your previous game changer. <laughs> 100%. Actually, and here, this has just come to me, the way that players are going to be told whether they've in breach of the time is an official's going to walk up to them holding a cuckoo clock, and if that goes off, bang, they've got issued a penalty. If it doesn't, whew, Sweating bullets, waiting, waiting. Oh, all clear. But when it goes off, bang, dummy spit. It's genius in its simplicity. I got told this week we had some credibility in some of our ideas, and I think the cuckoo clock might have just flipped you out. So there's two, there's carrot and stick. So there's you give them an incentive to speed up, or you you whack them, proverbially, for not speeding up. And so the other element could be what happens if you putt quicker and you're continually inside the 30 seconds or the you know, the whole way. Is there some other way of rewarding you with a bonus fast play prize pool? Not or even- maybe you actually are given an old grandfather clock just to keep the clock theme going for flavor flavor. I really thought this through. It's a, yeah, no, you, okay, you haven't thought that through. But I don't mind. Something's got to be done just to speed it up. But again, in a match play, in a solo cup situation, it's probably less damaging, although there was plenty of discussion around it. But we do talk about slow play. But it's just annoying for the spectators. And we, we're all about entertainment, as, as Rory says. So this this cuckoo clock idea, cuckoo. practical, and because Rory uh, demands it, entertaining, well, Phil. Because Rory demanded it, we will propose it. Now, i, I tell you something else that, that did occur that people might have heard about, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, but is rule 13.3 now the most well-known rule in golf, which is that if any part of the ball is overhanging, you must, in a match play situation, you must wait. 10 seconds because, as has been commonly spoken about, there was no chance that the ball was going to go in. But 
it, because a little bit was overhanging, a mistake was made and you move on. But I can tell you that on day two, Nellie Corder did not look, she hadn't necessarily done anything wrong. They're not able to overrule the referee's judgment. So all those other suggestions are, are just complete crap. But she looked like someone who hadn't slept that well because the weight of that moment didn't sit comfortably with it. Whereas Sevi, going back to some of his rule calls back in the day, it sat so comfortably that he just he nodded off at the dinner table. <laughs> he almost didn't make it home. <laughs> I, I don't understand. The thing for me is I don't understand the subjectivity behind it. Like, why does that need to be included within the rule? Why not just be 10 seconds from when it stops on the lip? Yeah, um, I mean, the whole the rule is, you know, what's the rule? The player is allowed a reasonable time to reach the hole and then 10 more and seconds 10 more to seconds. wait to see whether the ball will fall into the hole. So who determines reasonable time there? I mean, it, it encourages this slow play and the, and the dawdling that we've we've talked about. In fact, Philly, I might have just found another use for my on-screen cuckoo clock timer, <laughs> hey? The on-screen hey? cuckoo clock. The the fact that players start repairing pitch marks because it's, well, it's a reasonable time and I've got to make sure, sure of the green. But at no point in time was there a... Or this is going to go in. The fact that Nellie Corder had dropped mm. to her knees, there is not a golf professional in the world, not ever, without research, not ever once in a tournament, has a golf professional hit a putt and dropped to their knees in pain that the putt missed for it to then fall in. So an over-officious referee, whatever, whatever it is, look, by the, the rules of the law, if it was overhanging, no mistakes have been made and, and she'll learn from it, sexual will learn from it. But. Just on the old... Dropping to the knees, far out. That looks painful to me. I would have done both hammies on that, an Achilles and probably an ankle. It's, it's, uh, it's something that the the more flexible types are, are better at getting away with. As an old boss of mine used to say, there's a very big difference between kneeling down and bending over. Um, how bad is biased commentary? It's not good. I just had to deflect quickly before I got into trouble on, on that one. So I'm listening to th- there was a real Asinger feel. To Judy Rankin. Um, it's probably all I can describe it as. And so I've come up with a game changer of my own oh, have you? regarding commentary. This was the self-segue. Unbiased commentators for the Ryder Cup and not for the reason that you think. Unbiased commentators that sit in the middle of US commentators and European commentators and they just stoke the flames of bias. The whole time <laughs> their job is to start fights. They don't take sides at any point in time. They just try and get arguments going. I'm not sure the fires are even going to need to be stoked at the Ryder Cup this year. That could be entertaining. Geez, that'd be entertaining, Philly. It'd be like, what would it be? It'd be like uh, me in between you and Kipper. It, it, it would be no deal. Or anyone, in between anyone and Kipper. Um, just because it's fun, but imagine all the Sefri, Sevi references that Nobolo, yes. if he was the <laughs> yes. independent, would throw Zinger's way. Like the whole time. It would every second it reminds me of a time when Sevi it reminds me of time because it would just be about stoking the fire. Because the flip side of that is you get two audio channels and you can actually choose your commentary. So you take Oh, I like this. It's like choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. So so one of the things that happened when we were watching on the coverage in Australia is that we got the US coverage. Where at the Olympics we got the international coverage. And so the international coverage had Alison Whitaker and had a greater variety of voices. Whereas the US coverage, um, we had someone who is probably quite esteemed, but I call him the English guy. So why don't we then say, I can listen to Channel A, which is completely biased European commentary, or I can listen to Channel B, completely biased US commentary, or I can take the unbiased in the middle stoking fire commentary. That 
would be genuinely entertaining to just go, well, he's got no chance. He's, he's likely to shank this, just like he did in whatever. Now, talking about biased commentary, Phil, is it possible, and I'm just, I'm just posing the question, is it possible you're a biased viewer? Of course, but what's your point? <laughs> who who are you barracking for, the Yanks or Europe? He says, knowing the answer full well. Well, it's a really it, it's interesting in that I I really like I have a, um, an affinity towards Europe, but don't necessarily not like the US. I just think that the, at different points in time, their approaches are completely different, um, and therefore I I feel that I end up leaning towards Europe. Do, do you have any issues with any European commentators? You know, I don't. And the reason that I mm. don't is because I don't believe, and I don't know how they do it, I, I don't feel bias in what they talk about. I feel that they they commentate golf. They don't, they don't commentate golf with an opinion in there. It's like listening to Noblo and, and Baker Finch. They just describe what's going on or potentially why it's going on. But without the, oh, that's a great shot. Hang on. Well, that great shot ended 30 feet from the pin. And her, like um, Mel Reid, you know, when she hit that shot just over the bunker that, that bounced right in on day two, the the US player, could have been Kupcho, um, hit it 30 feet past the flag. And that was a great shot. And Mel Reid's was purely just a lucky shot. And I wouldn't have thought that 30 feet is a great shot. But again, it was just those, those senses. And I don't get that as much from the Europeans, and I don't get as much from the independents, but also we don't get the Ryder Cup feed when it's on European soil. Maybe all these other things combine, and that's, you know, the chance of USA, USA. Are there any better or worse than chance of ole, ole, ole? Um, one's classically European, one's country-focused. Well, it can't be, there can't be a European country-focused chant because they're not just representing one country. So I have to actually get over those two things. I just happen to enjoy the ole, ole, ole a little bit more. A little bit more. So all these things add up. But one thing that fascinated me about the two teams that I've never seen before, and I've never seen before at a Ryder Cup, at a President's Cup, or a Solheim Cup, and maybe this is a generational thing. Kupcho and Sellis, the match on 18, and no, sorry that I don't really know her first name, was on her phone. Yeah. So she's staring at her phone, looking up, and then back down at her phone. I mean, way to become part of a team. Like, I understand you're at the younger end of things. But I have never seen – you look at the European team and their intent on listening and watching. And then uh, Alto Mari's putt on 18 where Lexi was, was waiting for her. Lexi's on her phone looking up and checking down and looked up what seemed to be maybe two seconds before she hit the putt. Like just dedicate your time to your team, which maybe it gets back to the roots of, of European sport and US. But, but is, that a, is that a country-based thing or is it more of an age-based thing, a generational thing? So you've got – I mean, it is the age of narcissism, Phil. You've heard me waxing lyrical about this for ages. They're always needing consistent validation from outside. Um, mobile phones or cell phones, they just seem to be a comfort blanket for a whole generation. Um, I think they are. And I remember many years ago, Work Experience Kid was actually telling me about some research that, you know, this the question of, from a survey, true or false, or on, what, on a scale of one to five, I feel lost without my phone. Like, I feel lost without my phone. And again, the Gen Xbox generation, um, for whatever a better term, if that is a better term, was strongly lost. I mean, they're lost without their phone. It's the first thing because it's their best friend they carry in their pocket. But I also have another theory, because I don't mind a theory. Um, 
I have another theory about why the Europeans become better as team and the US are just a better group of players. Because on paper, the US are a better group of players. Just on that mobile stuff we were talking about, think of it, put, put this into a different perspective. Can you imagine, look at any other sport, and if you've got people on their phones playing around with their phones, professionals playing on their phones in the days or in, in the era of betting on every single thing everywhere, does that not potentially open us up for some massive integrity issues? If the blokes are all there on their phones, I'm telling you, there would be questions asked. I had not even considered the fact that maybe No was laying off, um, you know, because she's not <laughs> what I'm suggesting. Phil does not, not speak you, on my behalf. Is that not what and you're suggesting? But I think what you're implying flagging. then is that she might have had 500 bucks on the US win. Oh, it's it's not what I'm saying. Phil. And and what you're suggesting is that she got on her phone to actually say, actually, you know what, I need to actually go each way on number four, race seven, because I need to start... Because aim point's not working for me. <laughs> I need to get some safer bets. But of course, it's a question of integrity. The, the, it's a live event, and they're there. They know inside information on what's happening with the team. They know who's playing well and who's not. The fact that a mobile phone needs to be there, what is it, just in case there's an emergency? I say that um, when you look at any other sports, they're not allowed to have their phone before... AFL is a prime example. You're not allowed to have it. You walk in, you put it away, and you're not allowed to get it till the game is well and truly done. You're back in the in the change rooms. Unless you're Jordan Degoe. Um And then you get in trouble for it. That's my yeah, point. And then you get in trouble for it. But that is, that is because the integrity is utmost because we brought in sports betting. And in the US, they did commit to a, a stronger sports betting. So therefore, the integrity measures have to improve. Plus, it was just a crap look. So if I've got a teammate, if I'm about to hole or putt a five-foot putt for a win and one of my teammates thinks that's a good time to check messages to say, oh, God, I'm awesome. Look at all these messages. The only reason you'd want the phone then, Phil, is just to catch your lip out just on the video. Thanks. Sure. I then wondered whether or not Europeans are brought up on team sports where golf is a part of it. But you look at and male or female, soccer, cricket, um, it's part of their DNA. It's part of their culture. Here's my, here's a sweeping statement, and I really about to apologise to a lot of our US friends. No, I love your sweeping statements. They're brought up on following team sports more than playing them. So cricket is not a team sport. It's a sport played in a team. So baseball is the same thing. You rely on a pitcher to do well, but ultimately it's individual skills, not all contributing to the one thing. In NFL, you've got role players and special teams. Whereas in soccer, it's the movement of the entire ball, it's the entire team that then has as a DNA the we. So hence, I really do believe that Europe has far more of a we and the US from a Solheim and a Ryder Cup has far more of a me. They have more talent, they have more ability, but why is, it, why is talent not winning? Why is talent not winning out on a Ryder Cup or a Solheim Cup? A champion team always beats a team of champions. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny though you say that about Europe because I remember spending, spending time... Uh, in early 20s over in, in England and Ireland and they were in Australia we would um, you know we'd play a team sport all day and then at the end of the day on, a, on the weekend we'd head off to the pub they spend the whole day in the pub drinking watching team sport over there so I don't think it's quite as blanket as you as you, once, your sweeping statement but no of course it is and that's once they're allowed to drink so at 15 but but they grow up prior to that they all grow up participating in these team sports so they don't get to the pub and follow soccer. They've actually played it. It's been a significant part of their life, both playing and, and watching. Um, anyway, but I'm moving on from that because here's something else that I discovered that's really, really awkward. One of the great, truly great things about Madonna, and we've spoken about this before, was Ian Poulter walking onto the tee with the crowd cheering. 
and they started to quieten down as he was getting ready to hit. And he said, no, no, bugger that. Let's change the whole dynamic of golf. Fire up. And they cheered and they cheered and they cheered and they hit off. And he forced Bob Watson to do the same thing. And we all know how that ended. So the, the awkwardness of the Solheim Cup was they introduced the players. And because there was no lull, they were asking the players who were not overly quick to, or asking the crowd to cheer from the moment they were introduced and to continue to cheer through them hitting off. Now, I don't know whether you've ever cheered for a minute, but it's bloody hard. The difference with Polter is that things dropped and everyone took a breath and then he fired them up again. You actually can't sustain that level. And what it also showed out was 50% of the crowd say, actually, I just want to watch him hit. And 50% of the crowd said, I'm just making noise because the person in front of me is waving those sticks up and down rather than say, quiet, please. So which meant that the opportunity potentially was lost for that impact because it was so forced and created. Whereas if there was a lull, you let it die down and then the player gets to the tee and then chooses whether they want volume up or volume quiet. You can't force that. You can't force cheering. You can't force... It's got to be... It's either allowed or it's not. And then if it, it will happen naturally, that gives it that authenticity and that's what makes it so uplifting. But if you tell everyone, cheer now, then it's just it's just as fake as everyone be quiet. It's, you it, can't yeah. cheer for a minute. You can't cheer... Ooh! And you actually heard everyone going, ooh! Ooh! <laughs> Come on, hit it. Were they wearing face masks? Because that would make it even harder, Phil. Of course they weren't wearing face masks. I'll tell you, if you were standing in front of or lying down in front of Charlie Hull when she was taking practice swings on, I don't even know what (laughs) hole it was, you'd need a face mask. Because otherwise, with her practice swings, you're going to get a face full of divot with a driver. There were greenskeepers all around the world who died a little watching a Solheim Cup watching an elite player take divots with driver as part of practice swing. You know what, Phil? That felt eerily similar to my driver off the deck challenge in season two. <laughs> I started to get the shakes and sweats up and I just felt a little lightheaded watching that. Yeah, but but you were trying to hit the ball. Hers were practice swings. Yours were air swings. So there's a big difference. But anyway, that was just that, that was an awkward... It, it was an awkward moment for, I think, everybody to just go, what What are you doing? It, it's, it's like you're better than that. I, again, I'm probably... Digging a little bit too. Just jumping off a little bit here, the Europeans um, for mine this year, all they need to do to really rattle the US is just when everyone, has, whoever takes a shot, nice shot, Brooksy, just on repeat. Nice shot, Brooksy, on repeat. Oh. And it'll just, it'll just, it'll wear them down. It'll wear them down. Which leads to another question of was that a breakthrough moment? The Solheim Cup, not on purpose going head-to-head with that other event. Was that a breakthrough moment for women's golf or is was it just that that you just can't put a 30-man field up against a iconic team event? I'm very much of the opinion that if, for me anyway, if you put up a, a match play team event, no matter what it is, that's going to trump pretty much any other stroke play event going around. Um, Short of so a major. Yeah. Okay, well, here's a question for you. Not that it could happen, but hypothetically, let's just say it could. The Masters up against the Ryder Cup, which one are you watching? Well, both fields are diminished, so I'm I not... just suggest, <laughs> as I just said, it's not actually possible, but work with me, Phil. Which one do you watch? Uh, okay, I suppose, yes, but to keep it topical, it would be which events does Solheim Cup trump the BMW Championship? Does Solheim Cup trump um, the next one? Uh, what did you say that was called? Um, the, the trusty one. With that Northern Trust. Yeah. Um, Northern Trust. So there, there's actually a level event that, that it would 
Trump, but I think the Tour Championship, the fact that it's tried to reinvent itself a lot, that it's come up with this absolutely ridiculous scoring system, the fact that the two lowest scorers for the week didn't win the event, forgetting the FedEx Cup, but they didn't actually win the Tour Championship. It, it it's just, odd, isn't it? it? It's a weird well, concept to get your head around. A, 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 mm. a complete dropping of the ball for something that was, and we spoke to John from Chicago about this, about why it is important why the Tour Championship is important and why the, the journey to Eastlake is effectively a, a homage for a lot of these, a, a pilgrimage, sorry, not a homage, a pilgrimage or um, a homage to Bobby Jones, but a pilgrimage for a lot of these players because it is that iconic location and another Donald Ross course. But to give someone a head start and then to say that they win the event because they had a head start is just pointless. And even Ram, you know, was quite vocal just saying that, all a bit silly, really. He said, "I just won. What do you? What I won five million bucks for turning up." Yeah, it, it's certainly an odd concept. You, hats off to the PGA Tour for trying something new, but you'd think you'd think that one wouldn't have got through to the keeper. You would have thought they'd work out the uh, the flaws in that that change. And as you did suggest, the basically the polar opposite to that, jumping off my idea about getting people to play more encouraging attacking golf, actually having them chase the field. And he would have almost run them down too. I mean, it would have been it would have been close. But I mean, he shot eleven under. Like Cantlay, like congratulations, awesome player, well done, yeah. yada yada yada. Um, he shot eleven under for the four rounds. He would have had to have shot fifteen under to get the win. So he has to pick up four more shots to have hunted the field down. Who also then want to stop him hunting? So I tell you what, if you don't want to imp- implement the golf barons. Uh, rule and therefore not be an uber baron just go back to the good old days when bill haas won it and you won the event and you won the fedex cup so there was a tour championship winner and there was a fedex cup winner yeah with the with the tour championship as well every year it seems to be this is what they're, they're struggling with it's meant to be this absolute crescendo of an event leading up from the you know the fedex cup going through the playoffs and then this is the the, the you know the ultimate event but we've seen it over years and years it's never the event itself has rarely been that much of a spectacle. It's present. It has given us a lot of moments within the within the event. So we've got you know even the Bill Haas one that you talk about from the the water on eighteen to um, hit it out of the water to stiff and then taps in to win. But we don't see that many um, really competitive tournaments. So uh, yeah, they're, they're going to need to shake it up a little bit somehow. Like I've got no issue with the money as we've discussed. In the no, past, because you take the you take the fifty million bucks, and you 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 know you want to sook about that being in the FedEx Cup, or in the finales. Well, then just spread it out over the year. Either way, it's going into the pool. It's their way of rewarding players, which we spoke about, rewarding that top thirty, um, and giving them an opportunity to to be in the top hundred on the highest earning athletes, or maybe just squeezing into the top fifty. But you know, we're not talking Patrick Mahomes numbers here. Yes, it's partly a defence against the Premier League or whatever that is up to, which we've has gone decidedly quiet. But that always existed. I think the bigger issue is about PIP. You know, you want to talk about a pool of money that could be better spent elsewhere. PIP, but but really, it it just needs a boost. And maybe it was just unlucky that the Solheim Cup was head to head to it, head to head with it. Maybe it was great for the Solheim Cup that it was head-to-head with the Tour Championship because it gave my focus. But I did not watch one shot of the Tour Championship and I watched a significant amount of the Solheim Cup. The Solheim Cup as well and the Ryder Cups, when you think about it, Phil, they're also, being biennial events, 
it's going to have it's it's going to be more of an appealing event oh, to watch because it doesn't come around every. It's like the Olympics. We watch the Olympics every. If it was on every year, the Olympics, we probably wouldn't watch it nearly as uh, you know as much as we do. So that's probably been a bit unlucky for the Tour Championship in that respect. We probably need to see the numbers as well. We might be completely off here, uh, but my gut feel is anyone who was watching golf this week last weekend was watching Siam. When have we ever cared about numbers? When have we ever cared about data or data? When have, we, when have we ever cared about research? So my gut feel is good with me. From the network that I'm involved with and the network that I'm part of, um, a very small one, Both mind you, the overwhelming, the overwhelming majority were Solheim Cuppers. And I thought it was really good. And it was a cracking event on a beautiful golf course. Um, and I thought they, they just carried the weekend and, and did it beautifully. Awkward moments, Phil. Got one for you. Pedersen's boyfriend. He caddies four. Daniel yeah. Kang, oh. they were matched together in the final round. How would you be? Do you choose couch or bed? Like in that situation, uh, I mean... It depends whether you're in need of a good sleep or not. It's, a, so, it's not an enviable position to be in, that's for sure. Very awkward. So it comes down to 18, and it was interesting. She had a putt on 15 that ran over the lip. Who's that, Kang? And I wondered whether or not... It, uh, Kang. And I wondered whether at some point in time she was looking at the caddy going... It's a stitch up, and she was three down at that stage. So I think it was already the match was already gone. But did you did you aim point me wrong? Did you hold up one too many fingers while doing that? Um, but uh, I think the I mean, it was it was beautiful. It was a really nice moment, and again shows how close these two teams in reality are. Listening to Sophie Popoff get interviewed after her match, having not won one point during the week, but competed bloody hard, and she actually was given a tough components uh, opponents. I thought. Is this the American team or is this the European team? I mean, because they all go to college in the US, they all compete with each other. They all are all very close. I think as bonded. It's just the Europeans have that additional that additional bond. No, for sure. It would have been fascinating to be a fly on the wall, though, wouldn't it? After the round, just to hear how they dissected that, whether they even spoke about it. It was just that's work. We leave work alone. It'd be interesting. A little bit of a. Did you see? I made a take three wood down fourteen. <laughs> yeah, I promised I would. Yeah. Uh, no, I think they're just professionals. I think caddies, of course, they are. Caddies are all professionals and and incredible humans, aren't they, Kipper? They're very good people, and we need more of them. Um, now, now, Shooter, before we wrap up, because I think we've bored everybody enough, um, we spoke about talented families, um, and we spoke about the quarters as a talented family. How talented are Nikolai and Rasmus Hugard? Are you sure about that pronunciation? They won. They're twins. No, of course I'm not. But they're well. I'm sure it was Rasp- I'm sure it was Rasmus. They're twins. They won in consecutive weeks on the European Tour. Both of them. Well, each of them. <laughs> so, so Rasmus won um, in Switzerland, uh, and then Nikolai won on the weekend. Now, talented families. Um, I reckon when you've got twins who both win back to back on the European Tour, you're probably going okay. Congratulations, mum and dad. Now, Phil, before we do wrap up, I, we did get a bit of feedback last week. Oh, yes. Uh, during the week. Feedback from Bruce in Wagga Wagga. And he says, Hi, guys. I'm listening to one of your podcasts here in Wagga Wagga while in lockdown. I enjoy the Golf Barons videos and have just discovered your podcast. Watching the third round of the PGA FedEx playoffs. Phil, I really like your idea of having... Oh, I should have checked this before I started <laughs> reading it. Phil, I really like your idea of having the leading player having to chase the field instead of starting off already in front of the chasers. Great idea. I'm starting to feel that Bruce from Wagga Wagga uh, Bruce. could also be <laughs> Phil from wherever. Uncle Bruce. So the first thing I'll say to you, Uncle Bruce, is welcome on board. 
Um, you're very welcome to give us as much feedback as you want. Um, we'll see you at dinner on the weekend. And he, f- he finished it up with, finished up with uh, don't forget to do a video of golf barons playing with hickory sticks and old putters as it would be really interesting to see which of the three of you might come out on top. <laughs> Make it a nine-hole challenge. My money is on Kipper. All right, so Bruce from Wagga Wagga, you basically you're going all right until the end there because the reality is our money is pretty much on Kipper as well. Yeah, like completely. Bruce, <laughs> we're Muppets. That's just a crazy suggestion. Um, <laughs> but I like the idea, Bruce, and there's going to be something in that for season three. I, I assure you there'll be an element of that in season three so make sure you send us your thoughts to swagger at golfbarons.com even if you do agree with phil uncle bruce (laughs) and on that note we'll bring today's tenuous links golf podcast to a close be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com follow us on all our socials and also enjoy watching golf barons on ko and foxtel on demand season three will be coming to you in the new year if in fact these lockdowns ever end Thanks again for listening, Barons, and until next time, remember to add some swagger to your swing.